Turn it up. From the YBA Phoenix Fitness 24-7 Basketball Facility in Rockland, California, it's About That Life Podcast with your host, Coach C. Collins and Coach MJ. Hey, welcome to About That Life Podcast. I'm Coach C. Collins. Normally, Mark is here for Coach GGT, but unfortunately, he couldn't make it today. Uh, it's got a couple things going on, taking care of the family and the kids. So, you know, uh, shout out to you, brother. I know you're out there working hard, man, uh, doing your family thing. Uh, once again, thank you for those who are tuning in and checking us out. If you're, uh, you know, following us on um Whatever audio platform, I appreciate you very much. If you're following us on YouTube, I appreciate you very much. If you're if you happen to be new here, hey, thanks for coming, checking us out a little bit. Uh, you know, the, this podcast uh, is about that life. Podcast is uh, designed to talk a little bit of AAU basketball life and everything in between. So much appreciated. If you are here and you're new here, maybe hit that subscribe and follow button. Hit that like button. Help help us out with the algorithm. Appreciate it very much. Um, if not, no worries. Just sit back, enjoy the show, and uh, leave any comments or anything that you got uh, got left behind. So, first, want to give a shout out to my sponsors, Doctor Dish, best shooting machine on the market. Uh, go ahead and check them out. They got the home version, the All Star, the Rebel. Uh, for you young athletes out there trying to get your shot right, obviously with a guy like Steph Curry out there setting the tone, you might as well start putting your work in early. So go ahead and check them out. Tell them about that life sent you. Also, if you look, if you're an AAU club program, if you're looking for shirts, sublimation, jerseys, any type of apparel, things that you need to get handled, check out West Coast Legends. Uh, Danae and Marcus will hook you up. All links to all this will be in the description. So, you know. Be ready to uh, uh, check us out. Help, uh, go ahead and help us out. Help us out with the algorithm, man. We out here trying to trying to grow, trying to do uh, grow the program. One small click for you, big help to us. So, with further without further ado, I should say, um, let's get to our guest. Uh, this guest, me and him, go way back. Uh, we went to high school together. Um, he we're, we're, he's very passionate about sports, much like myself. Um, the, the difference is he works <laughs> with all these different sports as opposed to where I just strictly work in my niche with basketball. But um, no, nah, me and him always have kind of talked. He's always really supported me uh, from afar and, and, and always been someone I've kind of been able to circle back with from time to time and just kind of connect with and bounce ideas off. And I try to be the same for him. And of course, two Oakland kids uh, growing up together and seeing the transition of the sports world to what it is today i think um he's very very he's a very good guest and relevant guest to 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 bring up to the show so uh we'll get into who he is his accolades what he's about but let me introduce nick lazito thanks for being on the show brother yeah thanks for having me <laughs> no problem so First, let me let you guys fill in on who he is and, and what he does, and obviously he'll fill in the gaps um, from there. So, you know, I know him as we we're just two dumbass Oakland kids growing up together <laughs> and uh, living our lives. Um, but what he's currently doing right now, he's a journalist for the San Francisco Chronicle and was also a journalist for the Oakland Tribune. Um, he He's, you know, he, he's called me even recently uh to kind of fill him in on the gaps of AAU basketball and really kind of understanding and learning that. But before we get all into that, Nick, um, why don't you go ahead and tell the people who you are, like how you started or, you know, your background and all this, like where your passion came from. Sure. Yeah, give us your story. 
Yeah, well, I mean, Chris and I go back to Oakland Tech. Uh, Chris played basketball, and we wrestled together a little bit. <laughs> yep. We had some classes together, I believe. <laughs> so, um, and then we kind of circled back around and met up years later. Uh, actually, in Chicago, I went out to Chicago to see some baseball games and met up with Chris at Wrigley Field. We yep. caught a uh, Cubs, Cubs gang, Cubs Brewers, yep. and then, you know, kicked it on a, what's that neighborhood called? Uh, Wrigleyville. Wrigleyville. Yep. I hung out and... Um, and then I got some writing opportunities. Uh, I've been working for newspapers across California for most of the past 15 years. I've worked for the uh, Modesto Bee, Woodland Daily Democrat, Sacramento Bee when I was in college at Sacramento State. I was editor of the uh, State Hornet newspaper at Sacramento State. Right. And um, got kicked out of journalism for a little bit during, <laughs> during the uh, 2008 um, you know, economic collapse. Mm. Sorry. And uh, so worked in some media relations and then got back into it and eventually made my way up to the Oakland Tribune, San, San Jose Mercury News, um, which were merged at that point and still are, Bay Area News Group. And then I got a job with the Chronicle as a designer in 2016 and have gotten some really cool writing opportunities over the last six or so months. And that's why, you know, we've been talking a little bit as I'm trying to get caught up on what's going on in um some of the youth sports, uh, you know, the, the youth sports scene specifically, AAU and travel basketball, and you've been really helpful in kind of bringing me up to speed with that, along with uh, NILs, which everyone is trying to kind of wrap their heads around right now and what that means, uh, name, image, and likeness sponsorships for college athletes, which are now legal and uh, do not. Yeah, definitely want to break that down later on for sure. So we've talked a little about that over the last few months. And uh, I wrote a couple articles about it in the San, Jose, San Francisco Chronicle. You can check it out. You know, Google my name and Chronicle, and you can read those articles there. Yeah, and, and just so you guys understand who are watching or listening, uh, links to his social media, links to uh, his information will be in the description. So I definitely uh, encourage you guys to check it out. So with all that you just said, which which is which is really cool. Um, what so far from what you've assessed? Because again. Obviously, the main premise of my show is AAU and and youth sports, right? In general, obviously, the main one is basketball. But I kind of think you you have a cool perspective because because you kind of you're you're touching base on kind of a little bit of everything. So, and, and what what's your overall experience with AAU? Like, I mean, just kind of looking at it from an overview, what you've researched, what you've heard from me, probably you assume and heard from other people, whether mm-hmm. seeing from other sports, like like I know we're going to talk about baseball and all those other things, like the AAU as an entity and, and you know, what's kind of some of the good and bad you mm-hmm. take away from it? Well, I think to start, you mentioned baseball. I, I did a lot of uh, reporting and research into youth baseball, and I saw some similarities there. And I, I think the similar, biggest thing I see is – you know, the game's, the game's growing, which is good, mm-hmm. but we're kind of turning from rec sports to more organized sports when it comes to youth sports, especially for kids mm-hmm. and parents more so maybe in some cases that see opportunities potentially for their kids to play in college. Right. Uh, so parents are willing to pay you know, money for their kids to learn from yourself and other good trainers and coaches, whether it be basketball or baseball. Uh, what I found in baseball is that it's creating a, a big chasm between the who can play, who has the money to play, and who does not have the money to play. Okay. Baseball is obviously a lot different than basketball in the sense that you know the equipment requirements are a lot more in baseball, um, which which furthers the gap, you know, right. as far as um, kids. 
And so specifically, one of the stories I wrote was about Oakland Babe Ruth, which my brother played growing up. Um, I played that as well. And um, Joe Morgan, too. Do you remember that one? They had a couple of those little baseball leagues. Sure. Like, you know what I mean? But I would say the Joe Morgan one was a little cheaper. <laughs> Babe Ruth was a little more expensive. Right. And Babe Ruth in the 80s and 90s um, was dominant. They, yeah. they turned out players like, you know, uh, Jimmy Rollins, Tyson Ross, Joe Ross, um, Dontrell Willis, you know, and many more. I'm missing a ton. But right. what happened there is, you know, Babe Ruth had trouble retaining players because travel circuits in baseball really boomed. And if you wanted your kid to get looks from major league scouts or college scouts, you had to go to these tournaments in Manteca or wherever in the middle of nowhere, right? which costs a lot of money for travel. And, and, and that's really hurt the, you know, um, enrollment for the baby, for the Babe Ruth baseball program. So that's kind of where baseball is at. I think basketball is in a little different place. I'm sure you'd, you'd say that, but, yeah. uh, but I, 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 there are similarities in the sense that, you know, parents are willing to pay more and willing to dedicate more time and resources, I think in, into their kids, athletic, you know, futures. Yeah. Um, and it's a good thing and it's a bad thing. I think, I think it's cool to see really competitive kids out there developing their skills. But um, at the same time, you don't want to lose that kind of rec league mm-hmm. where kids can just go out, have a good time and their parents don't have to worry about them. And there, there's obviously so many factors that go into that. Right. 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 It's, it's, it, it's not black and white. This isn't a black and white subject you know what i mean because like you said there is variables there's gentrification there's mm-hmm. access you know socioeconomic status i mean location right like look you you drove here where my gym is you look around ain't ain't much else around here you know what i mean so you think about even my facility here which i showed you outside of maybe soldier town and even that's in the heart of downtown what else do you really you know what i mean what do you have in like the barry and oakland and stuff so there's so many different facets to it but like you said it's it's kind of who has the means who has the money and who who's willing to do it do you think in your opinion there's an age where it's too young like where it's getting a little out of hand you know what i mean yeah i think you know you got to look at what's good for everyone i think at some point and if you're if if your talented kids are playing in exclusionary leagues that cost money then it's going to make the other kids feel less than Mm. and that's part of sports of course you know there's people who make it and people who don't there's the a team and there's the b team but uh, you know i think there has to be a certain level of age where a kid can just go out there and have fun and play with kids in the neighborhood and be able to develop their skills without really any pressure of making it to college or making it on the prep team. Um, and I, I just feel like in baseball, they're definitely losing that. And that's why we see Babe Ruth enrollment down from, you know, 1000 to about 250 right now. Wow. Okay. That is a drastic difference. Well, tell me about, I want to circle back to like just your career. Mm -hmm. in general and being involved in sports as a journalist and things like that um watching the different errors in sports because you can correct me if i'm wrong i mean so you're kind of keeping track of at least when you're in the bay or anything like that you're kind of keeping track of a little bit of all of it right like hockey uh the San Jose Sharks, right, or um, the Oakland Raiders when we used to be the Oakland Raiders and the A's and all that, right, the Warriors, obviously. So you you 
watch some of those transitions in those eras and the different style of plays. Like to like you think about when we grew up with Run TMC and all that stuff to now to the Steph Curry era. I mean, those are two different styles of play. Um, is there any ones that were kind of your favorite? I mean, even for you as a kid growing up, or your favorite ones, or the ones that stand out to you a lot? Oh yeah. Um, well, all the the Warrior teams growing up. As bad as they were, always had something fun to watch. <laughs> right, I mean, we sucked at one point. We were pretty bad. <laughs> but Latre- people still, well. yeah, we still had Spreewell. We grew up with Spreewell. Uh, we grew up with you know Bugs- when Bugsy Bogues came and played alongside Manute Bowl. Chris Webb, we Webb, had him Webber for a little while before year, yeah. he went before he went to the Kings. Right. Yeah, but um, yeah, I always loved you know the point guards being a smaller guy. I loved the, the fact that Muggsy and Manu played together was ridiculous. Five three and seven seven on the <laughs> right. same squad, and the fact that Manu may have been a better three point shooter than Muggsy. Too. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, Vontigo Cummings. I mean, all those guys that came through—they were just garbage. You know, it's, the teams were so bad. And and to have and then and then to strike gold that one year when they beat the Mavericks was just yeah. that's the most fun I've yeah. ever had watching sports. To believe with yeah. the the I was I was funny because. You, I think you saw the episode when me and Webb were talking about that. We were talking about the Rebelieve era mm-hmm. with uh, Matt Barnes and Al Harrington and all that. And just that, the Don Nelson. And the, the, that was the small ball, you know what I'm saying, era. So it, it was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, Nelson really was the first one of the first coaches who wasn't afraid to play uh, Al Harrington at center for, yeah, for 48 right? minutes. Yeah. Um, and the Warriors are kind of doing a little bit, bit of that now. I think a lot of people don't – because even speaking on that, a lot, a lot of people – really don't credit to because i mean we play in, in you look at basketball currently the small ball is you know pretty dominant now the houston rockets took it to an extreme when they did <laughs> they're super small but they have pj tucker as their center but i'm just saying he he was kind of one of the first innovators to say screw it go out there and shoot mm-hmm. a shit ton of threes and layups and run and gun and we're gonna go small and see what happens right he seemed to be like a really good players coach um, yeah and that's why that we believe team work because there were some nutballs on that. Yeah. Team. I mean, when, when Baron Davis is holding the team together, that's like, right. Like Steven Jackson. And yeah. Matt Action Barnes. Jackson, yeah. Matt Barnes, Monte Ellis. I mean, uh, uh, what's our center name? Uh, was it Beatrice? Be- Beatrice. Yeah. Yep, I'm telling you, man. That Beatrice was... has the first assist on a, he assisted the first Curry three pointer. Really? I did not know that. Fun fact. <laughs> Fun fact. I, I like that. Wiggins, I think had the assist on the, um, Record breaker the other night. Well, yeah, and and hold on, let me give a splash for Steph Curry. We definitely gonna get to the Splash Brother and and later on in the show. But you know, big shout out to him and what he's doing. So, um, what about in other sports? Like, what about with football or the A's or anything like that? Was there like things that? Well, just my fandom. Like we were growing up, the Raiders were out of town, so I never knew the Raiders as the hometown team. So right. I was a Niner fan up until okay, fair enough. <laughs> ironically, till they won the Super Bowl, right? They won the right. Super Bowl in two in. 94, 95. That's, that was the Steve Young era? Steve Young. Yeah, that was that Steve was, Young. That right? was Deion Sanders. That right, was Tim right, McDonald. I right. mean, their whole defense yeah. was loaded. Their offensive with Jerry Rice, Brent Jones, John yep. Taylor, all those guys. Can't be mad at it. They, 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 I mean, yeah, they were pretty so damn good. So they win the Super Bowl, and then the Raiders come back, I believe, the very next year. Yes. And I immediately just jumped to the Raiders. <laughs> I was an Oakland guy. <laughs> but it's weird, like, the Niners at that point were the most fun team I'd ever watch football wise yeah for sure honestly period at that point because i mean dion right yeah yeah dion Dion at that point yeah come on um so so that so then the raiders come back so then i latched onto the raiders who were pretty bad for a little while before they got rooted and made a run there right and then the a's i've always been a big a's fan um 
So there were some dark years there. Then right. they had Giambi in the 2000s and kind of rebuild a little bit. And I that. think when we were younger, our era was like the Jose Canseco. Right. Uh, well, Henderson was there at the time too, right? Yeah, Ricky bounced yeah. back and forth everywhere, yeah, but yeah, he, was, right. he was in and out of the A's. Yeah, so that was kind of our youth era. <laughs> yeah, Rick, Ricky, Ricky was definitely, and Ricky's an Oakland Tech guy. So right, right, that, yeah. That's an amazing story right there. Exactly. I think he was born in a... I think he was the born in the back of a car. Yeah, on yeah, Christmas no, Day. Ricky Henderson. Yeah, people, if you get a chance, uh, he's he's an Oakland legend. Check out Ricky Henderson. Uh, didn't he have the record for most steal bases? Or no, he was one of the top guys though. I oh, could have swore he's got the record for stolen bases, and, he's, and nobody's yeah. ever going to come close to it. Yeah, that's what I thought. Talk about records that nobody's going to catch. Curry, right. Ricky Henderson. I mean, somebody put up a graphic the other day when Curry broke that record. I mean, mm -hmm. think about the great records in sports. Bonds has home runs. Yeah. Bay Area. Actually, Bay Area born, too. So right, right. Guy. You're right. Ricky Henderson, greatest stolen base guy. And now Curry, Warrior, greatest three-point record. Hey, man. He's on fire! Thank you. So, you know, show love to our these Bay Area guys, man. They holding it down for our teams. But the fact that Ricky played at Oakland Tech was yes. really cool. And right. then to uh, play for his hometown team. And there's so many stories of that, especially with the A's with Dave Stewart as mm -hmm. well. Very cool. So then um, – I want to talk about, you know, more kind of your career and what, and what you're doing and how how you're, you know, how you manage it. Because not only is there such a huge shift in just the errors in sports, but the era of technology. Right. You know, technology in the way it, it's innovative. I mean, you, I mean, look, I have a show, <laughs> I have a show on YouTube, you know, what I mean, who would have ever thought. Right. But it's like um, for your line of work, you know, do you feel like you always got to kind of keep up and stay innovative and think of different ways to keep maneuvering and, and keep going. Sure. Well, I mean, I'm a print designer first, uh, or I have been at least for the last 15 years. And as we know, you know, print newspapers are sad to say they're dying. They're going away. Right. Um, everything's digital now, everything's right? Everything's digital yeah. now. So yeah, I'm having to kind of rethink what my skill sets are and how they apply to the future. And that's one of the reasons why I'm excited to come up here and kind of see what you're doing here. I don't know any of this stuff you know i've never right. been on a podcast like this before this is, this is honestly really impressive i see the studio on video and then you come in here it's it's more impressive in person and, thanks uh, man i appreciate that you're doing good work here and it's a good product and i'm happy to be a part of it but yeah i think it's a changing industry i'm happy the fact that i have writing skills and i'm really trying to work on those which is kind of one of the reasons why i asked my bosses to give me some writing clips okay um because i'm gonna have to branch out beyond just you know designing print newspapers um, so I want to utilize those writing skills and tell stories of Oakland athletes. And I've been able to do that, you know, um, whether it's Oakland Babe Ruth and the story of their struggles to keep black participation up during a time when black participation at the major league level is also seeing a big decline. There mm. were 18% black players in 1987 ish. Yeah. And we're at about seven or 8% this year. Really? So I did not know that it's over a, 50% drop or whatever. Um, wow. Okay. So that was a fun story to tell. I talked with Alexis Gray Lawson, who was a really good um, bat girls basketball player at Oakland Tech right after us. Mm -hmm. She went to Cal and went played in the WNBA for a couple seasons. And she's doing kind of similar to what you're doing, just building an AAU program down there. So I talked with her a little bit about her program, just kind of trying to learn the ropes of this AAU and I'm kind of hesitant to say AAU because she's not an AAU program. She's right, a travel right. ball program. So right. Travel ball. Um, and, and it's an interesting part of the sport, mm -hmm. basketball specifically, just because there's such a big, you know, we think about NBA and we, we know about the fact that there's people playing in Europe. But yeah. we don't realize that there's this big industry, whether it's baseball or basketball. 
They uh, have football, volleyball. I mean, everybody has mm-hmm. it at this point because football is like seven on seven. That's their thing. And volleyball, they have at AU seasons. I mean, you're yeah, there's – but I would say, yeah, baseball and basketball, I think, are the two biggest entities as far as I know right now. Yeah, so it was cool to talk to Alexis and yourself and uh, kind of learn the ropes and, and work to tell those stories because, you know, I think a lot of times those stories get a little bit lost in the media landscape. We, we focus so much on Steph Curry and, you know, the major sports. Um, so being able to write stories about community and about youth and about, you know, what sports really is, which is, you know, kids getting out there, having fun, getting exercise and, and being competitive and how that shifts based on technology and based off of just kind of what the industry is or what, what's going on with the sport we talked a little about baseball a minute ago about the trend towards more travel ball and less rec leagues and yeah it's interesting those dynamic changes and um trying to just tell those stories i think a lot of it too comes from you know people are competitive by nature i mean athletes are competitive and and you know parents obviously want to try to foster that too but i also think kind of because this era is such a like microwave air you know now 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 you know i mean people are they're always trying to find a way to speed the process up and always have to kind of tell my parents and kids you know you got apps that can swipe you know you want to date you can swipe right or left right you can you want to you want to download something you can download it whatever the case may be but like um you know you there is no there is no app to be amazing at a sport you know what i'm saying there's no there's no quick way to make yourself talented at something you got to really just put in the work and do some long you know you got to invest thousands of hours and do the tedious things and i think that just is very contrary to the day and age we're living in i mean we're very fortunate to be able to have things like uber eats if i'm hungry i can download an app or someone will literally bring me my food but at the same time sports doesn't work that same way you know what i mean sports gets real at one point and for me it was honestly um Growing up in Oakland, especially with basketball, but baseball too, I played YMCA basketball up until I was maybe 10. Mm-hmm. And I was all right. Yeah. Learning how to dribble, learning how to shoot. <laughs> I remember hitting a big three and all that. Right. But when I branched out, quite honestly, to the boys and girls clubs, mm-hmm. you know, that 11, 12 area, yeah, yeah. I knew that wasn't for me. Yeah, that shit is real. I went up to North. <laughs> I, I don't know. I can't even remember. I was so young. I went up to North Oakland. It may have been Bushrod or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was on, I can't even remember what team I was on. Bushrod is a legendary park in Oakland, right. in case people wonder. <laughs> and, man, they ran us all out of the gym. Cause I was like, I think I was representing, actually, the YMCA, the downtown Right, y, right, right. Which was... A pretty good diverse group of kids, but I think they were maybe a little more affluent and probably hadn't seen some of the challenging court games that the kids in North Oakland had grown up on and (laughs) learned from their brothers. I mean, I was playing across the street with neighborhood kids. I never even really played full court. Right. Um, And then I got out there and we got blasted. And (laughs) I remember walking up the steps to my house and my dad looks at me like, you don't got to play that anymore. Like, Like, sure, I'll take that. I think I'm good. And the the same awakening happened in baseball, too. I I grew up, uh, my brother played Babe Ruth, Oakland Babe Ruth, and that was the king of Oakland Little League. Um, Mm -hmm. Like I said, they said they won seven out of eight national championships yeah yeah no the Babe Ruth league was legit straight up but I played North Oakland little league which again was the more affluent more white kids and less talented to be quite honest I mean there were some talented kids there but overall it was just a less talented league and one year my brother played in the summer league 
and they needed a ringer for his team. So they brought me in being a year or two older than my brother. Right, right. And I just got absolutely lit up <laughs> by, this, by these um, Babe Ruth kids. Right. And again, just eye-opening. Like, damn, when you really open up the market to all the talent out there and, and you, you're playing the best kids from every neighborhood in, the, in Oakland – you know, there's a lot of great competition out there. Yes. And, yeah. and that's honestly what led me to writing. Because once I got to college, you know, I wrestled and I played football my senior yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. But it was a, a lot of humility. And, I, you know, I became really humble. And I, I earned a lot of just respect for honestly just sitting down on the side <laughs> of the court and watching you guys and Keith Wilwrights and the Demarche Johnsons yeah, and all, all, these, all these D1 players we had at Oakland Tech. And just being in all of these guys. And I think in a way, it ins- and obviously Marshawn Lynch, right? We saw, yeah, Marshawn, arguably and Josh, yeah. one of the greatest, maybe the most exciting running back of our generation. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I-, I know like we're biased and all that, but of course. So when, what? When you, <laughs> but let's be serious about this. I right. mean, let's talk about running backs in the okay. last thirty years. All right. Let's take after Barry Sanders because Barry Sanders, I think, was pretty epic in his time, and he absolutely was. But I think. The Beast Quake run yeah. is the greatest run of the last 30 years. I think if you watch any of those YouTube highlights of top 20 runs, he's on there, right? Yeah. And then he's put the yards on top of that. I think he's around 10,000 yards. He's he's in there with other Hall of Famers yes. as far as just pure stats. But I think those highlights and the type of running style he had puts him at that level where I, I think you could at least make a case. I definitely think you can make a Hall of Fame case. Mm-hmm. He's kind of been compared with Frank Gore, where Frank Gore has a little more stats, but Marshawn has a little more of the, well, he has a Super Bowl ring, right? Right. And then he has a Super Bowl ring that he lost because they didn't give him the ball. They didn't give him the ball, like, I know, right? What, what, what player in any sport can say that? <laughs> right, not too many. We didn't win a championship. Just because they didn't give me the rock. Well, and then they and then they gave him, you know, and then he had the charisma. He had the, you know, the media pool on top right. of everything else. He was a polarizing figure, so right. that that helps as well. Yeah. <laughs> Good, bad, or indifferent. So, 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 so watching those guys in basketball and football and Alexis on the girls' side uh, when she was playing before she went to college. Yeah. You know, it's just inspiring to be. And I knew it was something that I wanted to stay in touch with. And I knew it wasn't obviously going to be as a participant, but, um, then I go to Sac state and, you know, get to really sink my teeth into journalism and kind of build those clips and get the reps. You know, it's all about reps, right? Right. Whether, whether you're playing hoops or you're writing about hoops or whatever, you just got to yeah. get the reps in. So college was a good place for that. Nice. And perfect your craft. So that's really cool. Well, so then let's talk about, you know, with this era, I mean, in this era, now it's like people want to read memes before they read anything else, right? <laughs> you know, there's alternate facts and don't trust media and blah, blah, blah. Let's cut away from all that. What I'm saying is what I think is pretty fascinating and uh, maybe, and I was curious of your perspective. So, you know, you have like the Stephen A. Smiths and, and Shannon Sharps and, you know, they they have their daily segments and their twitter feeds and all that you know it seems back when we grew up it's it was like this huge gap between a pro athlete and us you know it's just like an average everyday kid or whatever but it seems in this era that gap is so close now you know like i think i saw something recently where skip bayless said something and then kevin durant put him on blast you know what i mean or like said something back to you know i'm just saying remember those I mean, Kevin Durant, he he will literally say things to normal people. You talk shit about him on Instagram or Twitter, he'll he'll talk you know, I mean, seeing things like that in this era. Uh 
do you think pro athletes should respond to some of this or should or, or should maybe people just ease the fuck off you know what i mean because the because what i see is these are some of the same criticisms like my pops or or any of the old guys at the barbershop would say it's just now they can actually say it right. on a platform that this person because you know someone will say like oh you know uh uh chris mullen sucks like he's fucking terrible but now you can actually tag chris mullen on instagram and tell him he sucks and then potentially even get a response you know well, what i mean well take chris mullen out of that equation and throw latrell sprewell in what's latrell doing if some i know right i know right i mean this dude was out there choking coaches and th- and didn't feel bad about it either so it's like now you could tag latrell sprewell as a normal everyday dude in oakland and latrell sprewell might show up to your motherfucking <laughs> might show up to where you at and fuck you up you know what i'm saying like he'll get out of his car fuck you up and by the time he gets back to his car his, his, his wheels are still exactly still <laughs> so that's what i'm saying it's such a such a different era dude i was just curious on your perspective do you think maybe some fans need to ease the hell off or maybe just some of the athletes need to get a little thicker skin i don't know i think well, athletes definitely have more power right mm-hmm. obviously now i mean they have, they're more vulnerable because of social media but they're also extremely more powerful because of it right I mean, we see what um Naomi Osaka did at the U.S. Yeah, Open yeah, yeah, was, yeah. And, you know, skipping tournaments and all or, or not talking to the media. Right. And then was it Simone Biles at the Olympics? Yeah, at the, yeah. It's last year taking a mental break. I mean, you could take even Kyrie with uh, all that, and we'll get into all that more, but I'm just saying you could see some right. of that stuff. Sure, yeah. I mean, athletes have more power now, and they're more, more vulnerable now too, I think, um, just because of the access that fans and the media have to them. They need to be a little more wise about what they say and where they say it and how they say it. But I think, you know, just LeBron getting a fan booted out of the game the other day. Right, right. You know, and that's all captured on video. You know, that's... Yeah. So you have so many more explosive situations. I think it's it's probably got to be extremely difficult to be a, a player right now, uh, an athlete right now, um, just because you're so vulnerable for... Well, we know it in the media world. You know, you say one thing the wrong way and people will blow up on you and say, you know, you're this or you're that. Right. And it's the same way for athletes. And look what Aaron Rodgers all of a sudden is, you know, he, right. put, he put himself in that situation, of True. course. But that, that nothing would have blown up like that probably 10 years ago. Right. right. Well, and, and I do always think it's important, like um, – I watch a lot of controversy, me personally, like with comedians, mm-hmm. you know, like with Dave Chappelle oh, and all yeah. that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like it's and the big subject that co- that comedians bring up a lot. Trevor Noah had a great segment about this too. context. Context is everything, you know, just saying things without context. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you, know, you know, it's like you could take the lyrics of any song. If you just say the words, it sounds fucking ridiculous. You know what I mean? Like if I, if I take uh, uh, Rihanna's umbrella, you know I go umbrella a a a under my umbrella a a. If I just take the words, I sound like I'm I'm fucking mm-hmm. uttering nonsense. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? But the context is it's clearly a song and a melody. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I think um I think you know people people have to keep that in mind because sometimes I think these athletes you know they just say something or and again they they might not even be saying something with any type of fucked up means but Mm -hmm. it can just be pulled and used and manipulated and 
I also think fans lightweight want to try to get these reactions out of some of these athletes. You know of what course. I mean? Because yeah. they want their 15 seconds of fame mm-hmm. or whatever. So I don't know. No, I agree. And that's probably what happened with the LeBron situation on court side. Say something about LeBron's son or yeah. LeBron's family. You're going to get a rise out of them. Right. Um, but I think going back to what you're saying, the me- the messenger counts too. Right. You know? And trusting the person talking if you if you're an athlete and you can build trust that people know who you are and what you stand for and what you believe in you tend to get a little more leeway when you speak mm-hmm. um whereas if people don't trust you if you know if something comes out of Kyrie Irving's mouth these days it might not mean what it comes True. coming out of yeah, LeBron James' true. mouth just because LeBron James has built up respect from whomever and Kyrie's in the doghouse with a bunch of people right. for whatever reason. Um, one thing I always kind of think about is the show South Park. Like, those <laughs> Love guys, that show. <laughs> those guys, like people know where their politics are. Yes. And people know that everything they do on that show is in jest. Yes. And they get away with so much stuff that other and also the fact that it's a cartoon I right think right that helps um, <laughs> bill burr has another cartoon f is for family that gets away with a lot of stuff i mean probably not a good idea to bring cartoons into this but, <laughs> but, but no the, it the, makes the sense point being, the point being is like people know who's saying it therefore they give it a lot more leeway therefore if if south park does an off-color joke you know where it's coming from you know where the heart of the joke is and you know it's coming from a a, a, a place of a person who has empathy and sympathy and uh is conscious of many many things um and 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 you kind of factor that in when you when you sit down and watch the show or when you watch an athlete be interviewed you kind of have that same context going Uh, back going back to context right absolutely so that that's just something uh, i was kind of glad to pick your brain about um i did want to talk about the article um you know we had kind of talked about before the show with the parallel just kind of the parallels with um AAU baseball, you know, volleyball, um, in, 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 in comparison with basketball and things like that, um, you know, kind of as you were researching and mm-hmm. doing your thing, like what, what did you find or what did you see as far as the parallels, maybe similarities and differences, things like that outside of, I know you talked about it earlier with like the, the financial component and things like that, mm-hmm. but is there other things you might've seen that were the same or different or things like that? Yeah. Um, uh, the money is a big thing, and that's kind of what I was following because I wanted to figure out why certain athletes kind of fall out of the system and, and what accounts for these different demographic changes. And a lot of it's scouting, too. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's a lot easier nowadays to scout when you know that the top 100 recruits are all going to be in the same gym yes. or field. Right. Whereas 20 years ago, if you were a baseball scout, and I don't know as much about basketball scouting as you. Oh, would. it's the same. Trust me. Um, scouts would have to go gym to gym. You have to go all these places and fly all these. It, mm-hmm. It's much more cost effective to just say, hey, right. I'm going to fly you to Vegas. This is the National Bigfoot Tournament. These are the top recruits. They're all going to be there. Go check them out. And I think it's a little bit, it probably doesn't serve the sport well to change everything. Not everything, but change the mechanisms and the structure and scheduling and travel for the scouts convenience, you know, right, right. There's, that's obviously not a, shouldn't be the end game. in all this is to hurt all these athletic kids into one scout. Um, and then it hurts the kids, whether it's basketball or baseball that can't make it out to Vegas for that trip or can't make it to Manteca for that baseball tournament. 
Um, so that's just something to be aware of. Um, and, you know, there's no real governing body maybe protecting the sport at large. Yeah. So it's kind of up to coaches and trainers and parents and kids to have that big picture, but it's tough because it's so competitive. You know, you want you want your kid to get every advantage he can when there's only so many scholarships to go around. And it's supposed to be, you know, like in basketball, and we talked about it, it's supposed to be like an honor system, right? You know, they just expect the coaches and people to just be honorable and have integrity, but let's just be real. There's, <laughs> there's plenty of people that don't have honor and integrity. I mean, they, they're, they're just going to do whatever it takes to get ahead. So I I know me personally, even even – be saying this as an AAU co-director in the heart of all this, I wouldn't mind having like a basketball governing body, but of course there's so many variables that how do you finance it? Where is it located? Mm -hmm. What are their powers subjected to? What can they do? What can they do? You know what I mean? It's, it's a lot of questions obviously, but I I would like to see something like that. Well, you're an AAU program, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Well, we see a lot of travel teams breaking off from AAU. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, at some point, AAU was the overarching governing body right. of youth basketball to a certain degree, at least more so than it is now. Um, for, and I, I, I don't know enough to speak much more about it than that. But you're right. There, um, there isn't really that overarching kind of head of basketball yeah. to say, or baseball for that matter. It's really the league's funding wherever they want the direction of their sport to go. You know, with baseball, I talked to a lot of people in the central office of MLB or a few people rather. And I talked to the boys and girls clubs who works hand in hand with baseball Mm -hmm. and they have a bunch of initiatives in baseball to try to grow participation in inner cities. Um, They just donated or pledged up to 150 million to the players Alliance, which is a black led coalition of baseball players that, whose specific goal is to increase participation amongst minority or underserved communities, right. um, largely black communities. You yeah. Know, these are black players. Right. Um, so, you know, that's a lot how things get shaped that way by athletes putting pressure on leagues to say, hey, you're reaping all this money from all these young kids trying to become basketball players. But here's a big issue that we're having in our community how do we help fix this? And to the players' credit, in baseball, they put a lot of pressure on the players, and we see we see that with basketball. I don't, I don't. Basketball hasn't developed a players' alliance no, like, we like baseball no. has, and I'm not sure necessarily why. I know there's a lot of great uh, leaders within, you know, LeBron and Wade and all that. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's something that they're working on, kind of behind the scenes, or maybe it's something they don't feel like they necessarily need. But it'd be interesting to see if, you know, players could gain a little more leverage and help kind of shape the, the future of basketball when it comes to youth sports and kind of ensuring that, you know, every kid can get the opportunity to at least get seen and get that opportunity to develop his or her skills without the parents feeling like they need to, you know, get a second job or whatnot. Right. No, you bring up a really cool point, man. That's that's really cool. You bring up a really great point with that. So. No, definitely food for thought on that one. Um, parents, you know, I want to get back. I want to circle with parents. Uh, parents, you know, clearly are the fuel there for this this vehicle to move, right? They're, they're, they're moving this youth sports engine, you know what I'm saying? Um, with that being said, you know, 
there's obviously the crazy over the top parents and there's the more and there's obviously you know the single mom or dad who's just trying to figure it out and ask for help and you know need some support along the way you know um i know for me i i i really try to advise parents and tell them the right way and help them as much as i can um you know what, what what's your perspective on kind of that like for parents and things like that with with, with the kids you know and then also keep in mind i feel and maybe you can give me your opinion on this one too i think a lot of the kids nowadays it, it, it's getting harder and harder for them to take criticism you know what i mean and be coached hard you know guys like myself i'm i'm very much known and I think I've seen you sent you like little videos and stuff like that of how, you know, I'm a, I'm a hard coach. I'm a hard, aggressive coach, but I'm, I think I'm a cut from, you know, I'm an Oakland tech kid. Like, you know, with coach Scott, you know, that was one of my guys or, you know, uh, coach Mac was hard on us too. I think he was just kind of an asshole, but he was hard on us too. But, you know, I, I feel I'm a combination of that old school with the new school, but it seems like the younger and younger groups are being able to take it less and less. So, you got parents who are trying to figure things out. You got kids who are a little softer. Mm-hmm. You know, I just figured kind of what 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 do you see in all that, or how 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 do we figure this one out? Yeah, well, I don't have kids, so I can't speak from experience of sending kids through youth sports. <laughs> right. Um, I, I'm sure what all you say sounds sounds right to me. Uh, I think kids, um, you know, phones or there's so many more distractions nowadays. Um, kids might have more leverage with parents nowadays for right. whatever reason. Um, but I mean, I, I remember I, I was an assistant coach for my dad coaching my brother's soccer team way back in the day. And I just remember there was one parent whose kid, uh, a Mexican family in East Oakland and the father would tell every time his kid touched the ball, his kid was yeah. like one of the worst kids on the team. He right. told him to shoot, shoot <laughs> at midfield, right. At anywhere. 60 yards shoot it and at some point my dad just had to tell the parent to like, leave like stop doing that. Yeah, so, he, so, so he's outside he's behind the fence you know on the street just yelling this kid shoot <laughs> from the parking lot yeah um, you, you deal with stuff like that trust me so i i mean it's i'm sure it's tough to balance all that from a coaching perspective because you're not just dealing with the players you're dealing with the parents and then the the high school coaches can come and become involved as well and the and you know how that shapes and basketball is wild to me. Like I, I really don't. It's tough for me to wrap my head around the fact that high school has been. Um, I mean, we grew up. High school was king, right? Yeah, I absolutely. Mean, I mean, obviously there were the Oakland Soldiers, but yeah, you played for Oakland Tech. That was what you wanted to do. You get yeah, those OT. absolutely. Um, and now you have coaches kind of turning down high school jobs for AAU jobs. Yeah, and the the transfer of power has kind of you know Division one coaches are going to AAU coaches now, and they're following the AAU circuit. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that every a lot's changed, and um, maybe the kids have a little more power because of that. I don't know what. What do you think? Because you know, I can say, well, I'm going to focus on my AAU team, so screw you, coach. Yeah, or I'm going to focus on my high school team. Screw you, AAU coach. Right. You know, yeah. um, maybe it gives the kids a little more power. Um, I think so. the The biggest thing the the biggest thing that upsets me is more. These kids want Steph Curry results without putting Steph Curry work in. Mm-hmm. That's what makes me upset. It's like you guys get more advantage, more technological advantage for athletics than 
any generation period before you you know what i mean you got you got cryo train chambers that are like 10 bucks to mm -hmm. do and when cryo chambers and jordan's air were like these exclusive things that only the elitists get to go to you know mm -hmm. what i mean you have you have sports medicine and science advancing at numerous rates. You have literally YouTube where you could you could type in ball handling drills mm -hmm. and a million fucking videos will pop up. You could type in shop form drills. And guess what the kids will type in? You know, ball is life. Mm -hmm. You know, highlights. Right. So you have access, but you don't take it. Speaking of highlights, now we have social media and Instagram. And, yeah. um, and I'm seeing a trend and, you know, you're, you're in on it too, right. is, you know, practices some practices are gen or are turning into highlight reels yes. where you have two or three people with video cameras following the court the action up and down the court and it's basically just run fast breaks back and forth yeah and we're going to get your best clips on here and we're going to boil them down to you know your five best plays and we're going to make a youtube video out of it instead and of I, teaching basketball right <laughs> um but for some of these travel teams uh whether they be aau or not some of these teams are only meeting three or four times a year for practice. Yeah. And if your entire practice for those three or four times is just running up and down the court, trying to build clips for you to promote your program. Yes. You're not developing a good team. You're developing a good highlight reel for your players to then showcase to colleges, which makes sense to a certain degree. But in the end, um, you know, it's, it's, you're not developing the fundamentals that you should. And I'm sure that's having a big impact on the game. We talked yeah, about Steph Curry. Absolutely. Um, people, people, again, that, that Steph Curry's wasn't born with the, you know, the gifts you would say a basketball player needs, you know what I mean? He's, you know, six, two, six, three ish, you know, a buck 50 bucks, 60. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't just a super gifted, uh, uh specimen, but he just had a work ethic that clearly um, was completely abnormal. Like, like Will Smith says, you know, you're not going to outwork me. Right. And then, and then he applied it mm -hmm. and, and beat the hell out of his craft to the point that obviously we've seen the end result yeah. that he's the greatest shooter of ever to exist. Mm -hmm. <laughs> ever. But I'm sure like me and we'll watch later some, uh, we'll talk a little about Draymond Green, I think. Yeah. Um, there's so much, uh, specifically to the Warriors, there's so much other things to look at and be in awe of besides Steph Curry shooting. I mean, some yes. of these screens they're running are just ridiculous. Yes, you know? absolutely. Curry coming off of, you know, two guys screening for him. He cuts back. The the, the naked screen they're doing now. Right. Where the screener has the ball, fakes the screen, and then just has a wide open lane to the yeah, basket. it's amazing. I don't see much of that being run on those AAU highlights like <laughs> on Instagram. You well, know? because, again, <laughs> give credit to Steve Kerr and that staff, and uh, a good portion of it, too, is, um, you know, they're not – um. The, one thing I will say when it comes to AAU basketball, there's a lot of people with the title of coach, mm -hmm. but obviously, in my opinion, there's not a lot of coaches, you know what I mean, that are actually teaching basketball. That's how come, like, I, you know, I sent you the link with my, my little documentary series I'm trying to throw out, throw together. I want people to see, kind of see that process. Mm -hmm. and, you know, I have a little fourth, fifth grade team that I'm going to try to grow together and keep them together and get, I want people to see like, Oh, this is how it works. This is how it looks like to manage an AU program and actually coach your kids and, and coach them up. So 
you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. But I, I just was curious on your take of kind of that stuff. But yeah, if, if the future of basketball is the offense that we see the Warriors running, talking about screens and all that, yeah. then the future is awesome. Right, if I the, agree. If, if the future is a bunch of kids wanting to chuck up 35-foot jumpers and I'm not interested in basketball for the next <laughs> 20 years. For real. Well, I do love that the defense is now – brought back again too so now we can play defense so yeah, and you can play defense and you get to run the break yes exactly i um well my last question for you before we move on to the other topics uh do you have i mean you got any future plans or any uh things you want to get out there you know hey the mic's yours like sure. you know some things you want to yeah, throw out there uh, um i have a sub stack i always forget the sub stack dot nicklozito.com mm-hmm and I have a couple free articles on there that I wrote, actually golf articles, but historical pieces, and um, one specifically about Oops. a uh, an Oakland, a golf pro from Oakland, or he moved to Oakland, um, named Lucius Bateman, who was born in the South, is black, and was barred from playing in the PGA Tour because of his race up until 1961. Jesus. Is when the PGA uh, finally let him in. Yes. <laughs> Seg- uh, desegregated uh, right, 14, right 14 years after jackie robinson so lucius bateman couldn't play at the highest level of the game so he taught golf at airway fairways driving range right near the oakland airport wow uh, which doesn't exist anymore just right. a little rinky dink range and he was actually the maintenance man there but he also taught lessons on the side and one of the people he taught there was a portuguese kid named tony lima who went on to win the British Open, the biggest, wow. biggest tournament in golf. Yeah. So the story is about Lucius Bateman, who was denied being able to play on his own um, and ends up teaching one of the great golfers of all time, probably because he wasn't able to play himself. So I have that article uh, on my Substack, and uh, another article about uh, a true crime story about a uh, kidnapping and robbery of a uh, golf tournament in 1969 in, oh, the, shit. in, in the Bay Area. <laughs> okay. Yeah, there's some fun stuff there. Um, so those are free articles that you can get on my Substack, And, you know, there's the Chronicle articles as well. As far as stuff I'm working on, I, I'd love to write more about Oakland sports. You know, we're talking here about Oakland basketball. I really haven't uh, jumped into that yet. Yeah. And there's some projects I think that would be really cool, you know, with my experience, you know, growing up watching you guys and mm-hmm. kind of following the game over the years. I'd like to touch base with a lot of the you included people who've seen it all and Kind of, you know, tell the story about Oakland Hoops over the last 20, 25 years. Okay. No, that's, that sounds really good, man. Um, I look forward to seeing it. And like I said, all the stuff you're telling me, I'll put links in the description so people could check it out. So hopefully you guys go out there, take a look, check that stuff out. So let's move on. We are going to go to hot takes. So... Today's hot take is, um, and I love my people in the Bay, and um, obviously me and Nick, we're Oakland kids, so we bring it up Oakland a lot. So if you don't like that, get over it. Don't care. Um, the OAL, man, it's not what it used to be. <laughs> the OAL League, uh, basketball-wise, obviously, specifically, isn't what it used to be. Big, sh- big shout-out before I do all that. Um, shout-out to Grant High School and uh, Endercombe High School. Splash for you guys, Coach Denard and Coach Fred Wilson. Uh, they met up in the championship at the um, Edison-Stockton tournament. Uh, I, Grant beat um, Oakland Tech, Endercombe beat Vanden to advance um, to the semis, and then they kept going to obviously play in the championship. Um, you know, back when I was at Oakland Tech, 
we, no, we ain't losing no damn grant. We ain't losing the intercom. I, I don't care. Y'all can be bothered by that. My my high school team would have whooped the shit out of all y'all. But either way, um, no, there is this big shift. I'm seeing a lot of Sacramento schools, and again, it's not a bias. I'm just telling you what I, the records and things are reflecting. Um, a lot of these Sacramento schools and things are beating a lot of the OAL and public schools, schools that traditionally when we grew up would never beat the OAL. But again, you know, the OAL isn't what it used to be. Where where, where do you see this or why do you see this happening? Right off the top of my head, I see two things. Um, one, you know, we grew up in the era of the six OAL schools, right? Mm-hmm. And if you were from Oakland, you were probably going to one of those schools. And if you wanted to play elite basketball, you were probably going to one of those schools. Yes. Uh, there were St. Joe's, Bishop O'Dowd had good squads. Now you have a lot more charter schools coming into it. And through gentrification, there's just the, the crop of basketball talent within Oakland is spread. Yeah, it's gotten more vastly right. over many different areas. A lot of parents have single parents that live in other areas. So they might live in Oakland, but attend high school elsewhere mm-hmm. um, across the state for that matter. Yeah. And then I think the other thing is, and it ties into that is kids are moving out of the area. I, yes. I worked in Modesto. I worked in Modesto from 2006 to 2009 and probably the best basketball player I saw during that time was Kiwi Gardner. Mm. who is okay. an Oakland guy. Yeah. And his brother or maybe cousin was also a really good basketball player. Uh, I can't remember his name. He also played, I think, at series high. Cool. Um, but, he, I mean, he was the best basketball player in the area. Yeah. And he was an Oakland guy who's, I'm assuming, his parents couldn't afford Oakland. Yeah, rent. Oakland's expensive. <laughs> and, 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 and moved Shit. out to Manteca. And he was just an absolute ball-handling wizard. And he went on to play for Santa Cruz and – had some uh, G League team. Yeah, yeah. Probably didn't get any NBA looks. He was like 5'8", five, 5'9", five, but had ridiculous handles and would have been one of the most captivating players in the OAL, you know? Right, right, uh, absolutely. It's it's different. I mean, that's how come I was – I mean, I think of the last kid that I kind of saw and was kind of happy he represented Oakland in my, and still is, I think, in my opinion, pretty good as like uh, James Akinjo, mm-hmm. uh Jr., you know, say not as because uh, I played against his dad. Right. His dad was at Mac, but James. yeah, you know GG. Yeah, he. Um, but I'm saying like you know, kid from West Oakland, growing up doing his thing, and but like, but it's like when Lowe was on the podcast, we talked about that because he said it too. We talked about this like how the OAL, you know, these kids are branching out. That the soldiers is the only way to kind of pull them back together. <laughs> you know what I mean to represent to represent the Bay in Oakland and things like that. So, and I know Sacramento kids that go down there and play in the Bay. So it's, it's, it's just pretty interesting. Um, yeah. Soldiers were King and they're still pretty good, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. They're still, yeah, pretty dominant. <laughs> but even, even, uh, James Jr. went to Salesian though, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he did. He, he didn't go to Oakland. Public yeah. He schools. didn't go to Oakland public schools. Right. Like you said, it's the charter schools, private schools and mm-hmm. things and, like that. And families so. just moving out of, moving out of uh, inner city Oakland and trying to find cheaper housing in Antioch or Richmond or Stockton or Sacramento. Yeah, you're right. So, um, let's move on to the NBA. Uh, we are definitely going to talk about, uh, the Warriors because, uh, you know, the, we, we're fortunate enough to now watch a second era, a second era of the Warriors thriving, right? We thought after KD left and and you know, obviously Clay, uh, Clay getting hurt and Steph was 
kind of in the Dame Lillard situation for a little while where he was on his own last year, but he still balled out. That's what people really discredit. He really balled out last year. But now the Warriors are rolling. They are thriving, and uh, they look great doing it. People love watching them. They're fan favorites because, like you said, they're playing basketball the right way. They're enjoying it. It seems like guys, if they're not playing ego ball, they're not upset because – Curry is kind of leading them offensively as far as all he does. And then, of course, defensively, um, what he's doing is phenomenal as well. Before we get into the video I want to show you, mm-hmm. I just wanted to kind of see how you feeling about the Warriors, just straight up. I think they're – I would put them a, like a, a, a little bit below where they were in 15-16 when they won 73 games. Right. I think right now they're on pace for 67 or 68 wins. Mm-hmm. Um but they're pretty close to that point. Right. Uh, I mean, they are defensively, they are incredibly locked in. I still don't know what to make of the Durant teams, you know? Right. Because they they won 65 games those years, but mm-hmm. I still think that 15-16 team to me was the most fun I've had or the most impressive basketball I've ever watched. Right. I mean, just being up 30, 40 points in the second, third quarter. <laughs> um, and they're not there. I don't think they're at that point yet where they're just toying with teams anymore. Right. But I think they might be a better team. I think I think that the rest of the league has caught up to them a little bit, and that's right. probably why not they're why they're not blowing teams out like they were. But they're running on all cylinders right now. And, you know, if Clay comes back and Wiseman will be interesting to see how he fits into it. Yeah. But, I mean, a guy like Kevin Looney, who I thought was out of the league two or three years ago with a right. bad hip and just didn't seem very skilled. Even a guy like him has found a place being that kind of undersized center who I'm sure he's learned from Draymond and Andrew Bogut yeah. and guys like that. Just They just seem to know how to be in the right place at the right time and use their body and their mass and their width and their broad shoulders and their whatever to, to create that space they need for Curry to get open or to box out a guy and grab an offensive rebound. And it's amazing just how everything just seems to fall into place with the team other than, you know, the previous two seasons. <laughs> it's not, it's fun to watch. I want to um, play this video for you. Like I told you, it's um, for those guys watching. Um, uh, this is for a, a video from thinking basketball, all credit to him. Um, I'm, I'm going to have a link for uh, his video in the description. So, Please go check them out. Um, if you want to watch the whole clip, just going to play a little bit of it and react to it and talk about it because he really breaks down why defensively they're so good. I'll break down a little bit of the segment. And for you guys who are – so obviously on the audio side, I'm playing it for you guys, for you guys who are watching it on YouTube. I'm sure my 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 guy Joe, my editor, he'll edit in so you guys could probably check a little bit of it out. Um, but uh, overall, it's just a, just a great, phenomenal um, – um, breakdown of how to play defense and the biggest thing which I'll reiterate in a moment is um, communication they really breaks that down and talks about it so you know you check it out I play for you a little bit you tell me and show or tell me what you think after you see it let me see get this thing started so you've probably heard that the Warriors are good again and sure their Steph Curry led offense is difficult to guard but It's actually been the Warriors' great defense that has led the way. And I mean great with a capital G, like a stop-the-presses-they're-historically-good kind of great. Since the ABA merger in 1977, only nine teams have finished with a defensive rating that was at least seven points ahead of league average. These are defensive juggernauts like the revolutionary 08 Celtics, 
the Twin Tower Spurs, and the 90s Knicks. The 2004 Spurs have the best regular season mark on record, a whopping 8.8 points ahead of the league. And after 25 games, the Warriors' defense is exactly 8.8 points ahead of the league. So Golden State has played like one of the best modern defenses, and they've done it with an incredibly progressive scheme that maximizes their personnel, along with the singular brilliance of Draymond Green. Green gives... So, just touching base on that part, just even on that segment. Because, you know, Draymond Green catches a lot of shit, because obviously he talks a lot of shit. You know, we know this is Warriors fans. But I just don't think the casual fan understands how intelligent of a defender he is. Would would you agree with that or a little bit? Or, you know, I know you know the game enough to understand that. I mean, 100%, yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a coach. But it's pretty right. obvious, I think, to everyone that he's just a, a defensive whiz. One thing I'm a little curious about is um, I'm interested to know how you would do. I mean, we I, th- I think we saw a little glimpse of it too right. in the previous two years, how he would do on another team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and of that's course. Not, not to knock him at all. Right. But I think a lot of what makes the Warriors great is the culture. Talking about Kevon Looney. Yeah. And how he's kind of developed some of those similar traits as Draymond Green. And I'm sure Draymond Green, I loved watching Bogut early on just because yeah, he, yeah. he, he had a broken leg at oh, one no. point in his yeah. career, and he was just hobbling, but he always seemed to hobble into the right place. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> he and, did. And, and he was a little overweight, but he always seemed to use that weight to his advantage, yes. you know, and finding ways to nudge a guy out of the blocks, you know, if, if a rebound's coming through. And those little things seem to have just been getting passed down from player to player in the Warriors, and you see it in Looney, you see it in Draymond. Draymond's, you know, ridiculous, and he has – there's much more to Draymond than – Right. What Looney can do, he can bring the ball up. He can run the tra- the, yeah. the offense. He and can- he has a seven one wingspan. People don't realize that too. He has really long right. arms, so that helps too. So, no, I just uh, curious on your side. Well, break down a little bit. More. I, I think it before before Draymond's career is done, it would be nice to see him get some real MVP consideration. Right. I think he deserves that, and. You know, MVP kind of gets passed around to whomever people think it's their time. Yes, it's not yeah. necessarily who's having the best year. And at some point, Draymond will definitely get Hall of Fame consideration. But yeah. I think one of these years, it'll probably take a, one or two sports writers to kind of start speaking up for Draymond mm-hmm. and saying, like, hey, we need to start talking about this guy. Forget about the stats right. for a year. Um, it's kind of – I think we'll see that. What he, I think of is similar is kind of like um, a Rodman deal. Because mm-hmm. Rodman with the Bulls was such a pivotal piece. Outside of just yes, he was an amazing rebounder, clearly greatest. But he was just such the perfect piece they needed to elevate, you know, Scotty right. and Jordan and move pieces in the mm-hmm. right spot. And he was an undersized power forward. I mean, he came into the league as a shooting guard mm-hmm. and left as a power forward. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't like he got taller while he was in the NBA. Mm-hmm. So that just shows to the innovation, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, of, of someone like a Draymond. And the fact that Draymond literally, like, ref, ref, refused to shoot last year. Yeah. We, t- we talk about it in a different way with Ben Simmons from a negative standpoint. Right. And some people have criticized Draymond about it. But when you forget about shooting the basketball I got to imagine it can open up your mind to the to all the other components of the game. You know, kind of like if you close your eyes, then your hearing becomes a little bit yeah, better, they yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or your touch or whatever, your other senses. I got to imagine not shooting the ball 
even if it may have cost them at times, it probably helps his overall game because he can see he can focus on seeing the full court and seeing mm-hmm. what's going on in different areas. Absolutely. And he's not the only one. Uh, Andre's done. Iguodala's done. Yeah. Consciously, it seems, stop shooting the ball. And they're, they know the comfort of having Steph Curry is knowing that there's always going to be offense. Yes. You know? Yes. And there's zero pressure on you to initiate that offense. Now, if the clock's ticking down and the ball's in Draymond Green's hands and he's been passing it the last 82 <laughs> games and the game's on the line, maybe you regret that decision. Right. We'll see how it plays out. I'm going to uh, – well, here, I'll play some more real quick. Gives them a kind of flexibility most teams can only dream of. He's able to lock down wing players on the ball, so guards can't expose him when he switches onto them. Here he's guarding Damian Lillard, gets screened, and he's agile enough to slide in front of Dame's drive, then peels off Lillard onto another guard and just takes his lunch money. Yet, he can also switch onto a 290-pound 7-footer in the post and use his 7-foot-1 wingspan to rip him, too. He's off Lillard and back on a center here, and this time it's a pick-and-roll, so Draymond drops back, recognizes that the on-ball defender is picked off, so he closes hard and blocks the jumper. Most players in the world can't guard four or five positions that well, fly around the perimeter, or succeed in every kind of pick-and-roll coverage, and yet Green's most important skill is probably protecting the paint. Among 21st century defensive savants, only Kevin Garnett can match Draymond's ability to sniff out threats and then materialize in the lane with a kind of basketball spidey sense. Here's a quintessential green play, over here minding his business, but he's ready to pounce when the ball handler springs free and then instantly recovers to the ball and nearly blocks the 7-foot DeAndre Ayton with a perfect vertical contest. At 6'6", Green's awareness and defensive IQ make up for his lack of size. He's playing center here and sniffs out the ball, but the moment he sees that Andrew Wiggins doesn't need help, he looks elsewhere, and because Draymond recognizes a dangerous Seth Curry, he steps up hard to take away any three. So he can play the perimeter, protect the paint, stick point guards, centers, or big wings like Kevin Durant, And he's basically a coach on the floor, the ultimate weapon for a forward-thinking defense that Steve Kerr and his staff have created. Outside of that, I want to talk, I think they go to the communication part, well, once I get past this ad. But that's what I'm saying, like, this dude really elaborates on the brilliance of, uh, uh, let me get through this freaking ad, but the brilliance of, um, what a, uh, Draymond Green does, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying, what he brings to the table. Let me see if I can get to the, the part where they talk about the Warriors communication and we'll move on from there. Because yeah, I, I mean, think even, even those highlights there, you see just perfect verticality with the block shots. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. And to the point where he's going straight up and the defender's coming at him and, and the defender's knocking him backwards. Right. Which shows, like, he's not – putting any like of his mass into the into the defender and therefore not drawing the foul. He's just going straight up and, and limp almost too, you know? Yeah. Oh, and that and that's that's also one thing I, I want to say I think is the fortunate side of the new NBA rule change or modification, whatever you want to call it. Now they're letting defenders be able to defend. Like cause, you know, 
the Trey Youngs, the James Hardens, they went foul hunting, right? They went like, oh, let me create contact. Now you, the refs are like, you create that contact, you live with the result. Like, mm-hmm. we're not going to just bail you out just because you got touched. So I actually really like that fact. Let me mm-hmm. see if I got to the steal. Speaking of that, too, it's been impressive. Um, to take their defense to the next level, possibly giving us a glimpse at the future of the league. Just like you were talking about the future of defense how it could is be. complicated. We could spend hours dissecting all of the different pick and roll coverages, but what's important to know is that the Warriors can play any of them because of their personnel. They change their coverage depending on the opponent. Looney's in a drop here, and he knows Lamelo Ball loves lobs, and he breaks it up nicely. Against a playmaker like Trey Young, they trapped the pick and roll so he'd have to give up the ball, with the other three players zoning up behind and recovering as needed. They only switch in certain situations as well. Draymond gets under the screen to take away the roll here, and that prevents Chicago from creating any advantage. And while we've seen Golden State switch a few times now, they also pre-switch, and that just neutralizes screens like this, and leaves Draymond behind the play where he's at his best. And sure enough, he tags Gary Trent coming across the lane, chases him into Curry's zone for another switch, and then instead of worrying about Steph's man, he makes a beeline for the basket, and that is the stuff of legend, ladies and gentlemen. It can look like Draymond is roaming around just playing center field out there. His man is way up here. And after a while, it's like he's not guarding anyone, but this is actually part of Golden State's next-level scheming. The Warriors will bring an extra defender to the ball side of the floor to help against isolation or any two-man game. That just kills any roll pass here, and James Harden doesn't really know what to do. They look for a Durant ISO on the other side, so Draymond tells Wiggins to overload on the other block, And this allows more ball pressure while simultaneously deterring penetration. Other teams typically wait. Looking at looking at that Nets tape. Yeah. One other thing is the Warriors are built as a team. And then you look at the opposite of that being the Nets, where they have two ISO guys on the court. What do you expect? (laughs) Exactly. You're not gonna run you can't run the screen offense that the Warriors do with those guys. You can't they don't want to run it. Yeah, so I mean, I, it's just a little interesting like that. That's why I wanted to bring that video up. And obviously, like I said, for you guys checking, uh, watching or listening, um, the the link for this video will be in the description. I won't spoil the rest for you guys, but go check it out. It's like a 17-minute video. It's a great breakdown. But I just thought that was pretty cool and innovative of, of who we are, indicative of who we are, right? It shows how, how well coached the Warriors are and how well they've put that team together to where – it's just become part of the culture of the team. You know, mm-hmm. it's not even about the – it may have started as coaching and it probably started with Mark Jackson yeah, and Curry before Steve Kerr. But whatever they're doing there, uh, everyone's bought into it and it's getting passed down to from rookie to rookie, yeah. from class to class. And going back to, like, Kevon Looney, who was basically out of the league, has built enough – has enough intangibles in his game despite having, like, half a hip and no vertical and <laughs> right. struggling to get up and down the court. Even a guy like him can make him, himself really effective in that system. Right. So, and then uh, we got Clay and um, Wiseman coming back at some point. So yeah. it, it'd be, it'd be great to see. Um, I want to talk a little bit about um, 
obviously congratulations to curry you know i don't know if he'll ever hear this episode or whatever but still want to put my mark out there congratulations to you brother for breaking that three-point record um that's obviously a huge accomplishment by the time your career is done you're going to make that record very very difficult to get to so you know i mean kudos to him man and there's a lot of people who've done a lot of great analysis on that as well um i think i we did a uh, previous episode I did a video reaction of a guy who broke down it was jimmer jimmer x or something like that he broke down where potentially he could take the three-point record mm -hmm. to i think it was somewhere like five thousand or something like that when he if he plays till he's 40 sure so it was like yeah, he's at three thousand right now and you figure he's two-thirds of the way through his career if he plays yeah so that's why i was like wow can you imagine that but then they said you know the way the 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 game has changed and all the guys shooting threes like the trey youngs and things like that i mean there yeah. are guys who could think, get there eventually yeah, i think young and don't 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Those, the, yeah. The, those two guys are at a pace at their age where they could potentially make a run at it. Right. So, we'll, you know, we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. But because you got to figure Curry had three or four years there at the beginning of his career before he found who he was. Right. And also was really banged up. So those are three. And they're, and they're the catalyst of the error right. that he set. Right. You know, he is the bar. You know right. what I mean? People can hate on that all you want. He, he is the bar. He is the standard. Trey Young got the green light to shoot. From day one. Right. Steph Curry took him a few years. Right, exactly. So um, talking about, uh, you know, the the pandemic with COVID and things like that, obviously the Kings were hit hard. I'm going to mention a little bit of this is from an article from the Kings. Um, said the current currently the Kings have all of De'Aaron Fox, Marvin Bagley, Terrence Davis, Alex Lynn, Lewis Keene, and Davion Mitchell in the health and safety protocols while – Tyrese Halberton and Chamise Mitu, I don't even know what that is, are both questionable with uh, non-COVID-19 related injuries. I mean, COVID's hitting the league, and uh, they're getting more and more cases of it. Uh, as someone with kind of your background and thing, what 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 do you what's what do you think the NBA's response is going to be to this? Well. Um at some point, they got to start looking into shutting the league down for a few weeks mm -hmm. or however long it will take to get this thing under wraps because at some point you're doing more harm than good by trotting out. I think the Magic had seven or eight guys available tonight, and I'm sure a bunch of those were whatever their G League. Right, players. right. They might be the Kings have, calling guys up. <laughs> Kings have five or six guys from their G League team. So when you, when you start doing that much damage to your product, I think at some point you got to call it off for a few weeks. Um, I guess there was a – Seems like a big spike after Thanksgiving. Maybe families mm -hmm. getting together and got a lot of cases resulting from that. And there might be another one coming off of Christmas get-togethers. So it's scary. And, uh, yeah, the Kings have been hurt pretty hard. I think it seems like a lot, third or half of the league has, you yeah. know, of the teams have, have, a, have a large number of cases that they're dealing with right now. I think the Warriors just have Jordan Poole at this point. Yeah. Well, and it's, well, it's like you said, um, you might need to, yeah, you might need to seriously shut it down. I mean, obviously, Christmas time is usually a big time because you get the Christmas games and the and the TV contracts and stuff. So clearly, I don't think they're going to do it anytime soon. But you're right. Maybe at some point, maybe make All Star break longer. Maybe have no All Star break. I mean, I don't know. It, it's it's a puzzling fix. And then the last thing before we move on from the NBA stuff is, uh, you know, Kyrie might be coming back, right? So, uh, <laughs> uh, do the Nets play at home on Christmas or are they on the road? 
I don't know. That's okay. a good question. Because we're talking about. Yeah, that's, what I was that's a good question. Yeah, I was gonna say, check it out. That's <laughs> a good. You look it up because I don't know off the top of my head. Joe, do you know? <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> I don't know. But that is a good question. Yeah, because he's kind of. They're talking about him coming back and playing to road games, mm-hmm. and you know we all know how much money is made. This is gonna look stupid if they're playing at home, right? <laughs> We know how much money is made on those Christmas Day games. Yeah, they are. That's what I'm saying. That's those are high televised events. Those are you know are close to the Super Bowl. We're gonna get. But either way, it's interesting that the Nets are considering apparently, according to reports, bringing Kyrie Irving back to play in. Um, Especially when they were like he's suspended indefinitely and all this stuff. Right. It seems curious time to be willing to bring him on when there's so many new cases coming out. Either um, so I guess my well, I guess my point of that is just they're on the road. They're on the road. Okay, they're at the Lakers. Okay, there we go. They, that, that that sounds about right. Kyrie, come back. Wait, because don't the don't the Warriors <laughs> on don't ABC, the, the Warriors I think fun. have a game that day too. Yeah, I think they're, they're playing, playing the Suns. Suns. There yeah. we go. Yep, the Warriors Suns. So. Um. Oh. Yeah. I mean, whoa. <laughs> we'll Kyrie debut in L.A. Oh man, we'll see. We'll see how all this plays out. Uh, definitely, definitely be interesting. Um. Well, I, I he probably wouldn't pass California laws. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. I'm sure. We're still on like L.A. has shutdown. a vaccine mandate for yeah. large gatherings, and that's why Andrew Wiggins wouldn't have been able to play. So. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe Christmas night won't be. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. I mean, um, uh, Joe brought up a good fact too, uh, that I thought was pretty interesting before the show. I want to bring that up. He was saying, like we 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 brought. He talked about the parallel with Iverson of how he you know basically didn't care about practice and was just like, dude, are we seriously talking about practice? What if Kyrie comes back and he's balling? Right, like he just comes out of control and he's balling. It shows that uh, practice isn't as necessary, right? Remember, <laughs> we were talking about right. that, how interesting that would be. Right. But going back to what we were talking about a couple minutes ago, do you need to practice for the Nets offense? I mean, isn't it? <laughs> you got, you got I know, Kyrie, right? you got Durant, and you got Harden. Basically, you got Durant bringing it up, you got Kyrie on the far left, and you got Harden on the far right, and one of those guys is going to play iso ball. So I don't know how much – I mean, if you were going to jump into the Warriors' offense, it might be a different yeah, thing. Yeah, true. But jumping into the Nets' offense where you just – I mean, especially Kyrie's game where he's just taking people off the dribble. Yeah, you know? and you're just playing basketball essentially because um, I don't know. I mean, I, while I was watching – I was thinking about Steve Nash as a coach. I don't – it's hard for me to gauge if he's a good or a bad coach. You know what I mean? I don't like, is he just there? Like, you know, like Steve Kerr, he did have to deal with the, the um, remnants of the, Oh, you know, we got rid of Mark Jackson and, but Steve Kerr proved, no, I'm an actual coach. Mm -hmm. Like, you know what I mean? And, and let me make this clear for you guys who are listening for kids, families who are listening or people who are watching for the, for the professional level. It's not, there is X's and O's. Don't get me wrong. Like, what the Warriors is doing is a system. The Bulls, if, if you want to stop circling back, the Bulls is what they're doing as a system. Um, there, there are co- um, for the Celtics. Uh, uh, why am I not thinking of the coach's name? Um, Donovan Stevens is gone. Or, or, yeah, Stevens is gone. Um, I don't know who's there now. Fuck, I can't remember. But there's certain guys like Thibodeau. He's he's a system guy. Right. Things like that, right? Um, 
what you also need to understand is it's managing personalities too. It's the psychological component in managing personalities. Steve Kerr is really good at managing personalities. I mean, you got to think about this is the man that was teammates with Rodman, Pippen, and Jordan, who clearly all had their own egos. Pippen's ego now is even crazier than ever, but that's a different story. And then he was under Greg Popovich, played for the Spurs, you know, was around Tim Duncan, Ginobili, those guys. So he understands how to, you know, get the best out of the personality and personnel out of them as well. Lute Olson. Yeah. So, you know, with Nash, I don't know what the hell. I don't know. You know, I mean, I know him and him and Durant have a great relationship, but I just, well, I don't know. One thing I'll say about Nash, I think he was, he must have been fairly instrumental in Curry's development because I believe he was a yeah. point guard coach when Curry came into the league. Yes, maybe shortly yes. after. Uh, yeah, that, so. yeah, yeah. You're absolutely so, right so on he that. Has some impact on what the Warriors are doing. I'm sure that had some is one of the reasons why the Nets brought him on. But I don't. I mean, what can you do when you have Durant, Kyrie, and James Harden on your team? And as a coach, if you can just get those guys on the court <laughs> together, you're, right. you've done like three quarters of your job. And he's two for three as far as that goes. Right, right. So That's far. true. That is true. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I, and I don't watch much Nets basketball, so I don't know what they're running or, yeah, how, their I don't or how their defense is. I'm sure, I'm sure he's doing some things right, and their record I think is decent. But, yeah, no, it is solid. It but is from solid. an offensive end, I, I got to imagine a lot of it's just hey, I got three of the best players in the game, and not in Kevin Durant who has a championship pedigree. Mm-hmm. I'm probably just going to have to let them figure it out for themselves. Yeah, no, and, that, and they should because they're pros and they're veterans. They they've been doing this a long time, so they should. Um, well, with all the NBA stuff talk, I want to get circle back to high school. I want to give a couple shout outs real quick, uh, to my high school sports that are out there doing their thing. Um, Burbank, uh, Isaiah Griffin and Amari Nesbitt, you guys are out there doing your thing. Uh, Endercom, congratulations to you guys. Grant, uh, Kennedy, Ponderosa, Whitney, Placer. Um, great job to you guys. You guys are doing really solid. Um, quick question for you. Uh, is OAL and let me make it Oakland Athletic League in case you guys are wondering what OAL stands for and obviously that's the public school league are, are we, are, man is our OAL becoming the inferior league now man I mean I think you know there's talents going different places uh, but there's still there's still talent there, yeah, there I, th- is. I think there you is. look at the girls side too I mean what Alexis is doing and what other teams are doing in the Oakland area. Um, it's, it's definitely interesting. I need to get out there and check a couple games out this year. I, I haven't been out there much uh, or enough. I saw the championship games two years ago. Um, but even the OAL championship games, I think, featured non-original six teams, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it kind of depends on how you view the OAL. You know, Oakland basketball, you'd, you'd like to see it at the top level, and I'm sure, you know, Lauren Leith is doing good things with the Soldiers. Yeah. And I'm sure they're producing tons of talent. But whether that talent's coming from, you know, what we identify as the OAL probably won't be what it was, sadly. <laughs> but it's fun to talk about. I right. Mean, yeah, you're probably not going to get any other any teams like the Oakland Tech team that you played for, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, that was that was what you, we were number twenty something in the mm-hmm. country during that time. And so you're 
probably not going to, I don't know. I haven't been to a game, so I, I probably shouldn't speak on it. But right. I just remember the atmosphere at those games going into McClyman's oh, with Leon. And, and, you know, who, who was it? Uh, who dunked on Leon that one time? What, in, in, at McClyman's? Yeah. Um, I can't remember the kid's name. But I know what you're talking yeah, about. I know what you're the, talking about. The whole about. crowd chanting right, Leon, right. Leon got shitted on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, how often do you have the number two player in the country getting capped on by right, the right. entire visiting? <laughs> because there's another player on the rival school who can compete with him. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's just not, um, yeah. Like you said, just a different era, different time and, and the money and, uh, well, when I mean money, I mean the social economics uh, situation of the Bay area mm-hmm. is just so much, you know, it's hard to, mm-hmm. you know, I'm lucky my mom and us bought our home 25 years, 30 years ago. Cause we bought it in West Oakland when it was, you know, a, a shit show out there where you could, potentially find dead bodies and shit so the houses there were much cheaper but you go there now man Mm -hmm. you know you know a home out there is like a million dollar home so if not more so it it just is what it is man but you know it's still good to see that there's still some uh sparks out there Mm -hmm. still some kids doing their thing Uh, i'm always combing the roster looking for those oakland uh, oal guys good man that's what's up (laughs) that's what's up i uh big shout out a couple more uh shout outs to my guys um Nanik, uh, I know you always listen to the show, man. Love you to death, kid. I've coached you uh, for a long time now. Uh, got him a full ride, uh, or well, let, let's. I'm gonna assume it's a full ride, but no, I know you're gonna get a good scholarship. Just messing with you uh, to holy names. Um, so you know, let me give you a splash for you, Nanik, man. Proud of you, man. You've been working hard. Uh, you got your dream, Keandre. I know uh, you just got. Accepted to Cal Lutheran, even if you walked on there, they take you, you know what I mean? Obviously, for basketball-wise, we're going to help you out there. And Isaiah Isaiah, at, uh, and Amari at Burbank, keep doing your thing, fellas. You guys are doing a phenomenal job. Um, you, you guys are really – they're seniors making a name for themselves. Um, I'm proud of you guys. Keep keep pushing. And all, all, all my YBA kids, all the kids that are out there hooping or playing football like Jack Hammer, he's a Jesuit playing football, killing it, man. I'm just really happy for you guys. Um, also, uh, quick shout-outs to our Patreon members. Thank you guys for support. Nick's a Patreon member, so I appreciate your support, brother. Um, it, um, you guys help us, trust me. Uh, just like Nick said, you know, uh, just the little cost uh, for the studio stuff, you know, uh, the camera work, the, the you know, uh, pretty soon I want to put some more sound pads so the sound could sound even better for you guys. Uh, it, it, it really is um, a help having you guys publicly help us. The The last bit of news before we get out of here, um, our, our podcast has uh, been nominated as a uh, for Sacramento trending uh, top five podcast of the year. So, you know, congratulations to us. I guess we're doing our thing here about that live podcast. Uh, we um, please go and vote. Uh, the voting is open until January 12th. Uh, uh, you know, we we're hoping to obviously take the thing home. We want to take that trophy home. So if you, if you can vote for us, it'd be really appreciated. And, uh, you know, big shout out to our last sponsors uh, with Hardwood and Courtside. If you're looking for tournaments, if you're looking for AAU tournaments, uh, rec leagues, things like that, go ahead and check them out. They're in the Rockland area. They're right next to my facility. Uh, links to them will be in the description. So please feel free to check them out. With all that being said, Nick, I'm really glad you're here, man. I'm glad you were able to come through. Um, 
I will, again, have links for all his stuff in the description so you guys can check him out. Please go follow him, support him on his journey. Uh, Nick, you got any shout-outs or anything you want to drop some knowledge for these parents or kids for real quick? No, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, I think I got all that out. But, you know, great studio, great podcast. I think if you are interested in basketball and uh, coaching or the game in, in general, I think great podcast and it's clean audio and it's developing, you're growing, you're, you know, you're figuring out um, your niche in this community. And uh, I'm excited for it and I'm interested in it. So I uh, look forward to listening and maybe coming back after I write a few more stories. Absolutely, man. You're always welcome. And we'd love to have, I love to have part twos and threes. I love updates of my guests. So, you know, again, you guys, please check him out. Uh, all my supporters, uh, again, thank you again for those who've been there and been rocking with us. Um, I, I really, this would not be successful without you guys uh, pulling to make that happen. Uh, shout out to Joe, my cameraman. He's doing a phenomenal job. Um, people love his video work. Also, check out my own personal YouTube channel. Um, me and Joe are, like I said, making a little docu-series kind of showing this process of being an AAU director and coach and mentoring kids and showing, you know, doing for your community. He's going to be around me, him and Shelly. Shout out to Shelly. They're going to be following me around to some of these um, travel events and talking to me. I really want you guys to see the process of what makes all this happen because we just got an Under Armour contract, so that's a really big deal. But again, you know, please support. Uh, appreciate you guys following, subscribing. If you made it to the end, congratulations. I appreciate you on that one too. Uh, everybody be safe. Um, remember, COVID's a thing, so protect yourself from it. And we are out.